0: Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Jacqueline Ganun. Today, I'm joined by Alyssa Nadworny, an NPR correspondent covering higher education, but that's not all she does. She's covered the war in Ukraine from the ground, reported from Jordan on Syrian food aid programs, and been on the White House beat for Bloomberg. Alyssa has covered so many interesting stories on so many beats, it was hard for me to narrow down what I wanted to talk about, but today she tells me why she's drawn to covering higher education and what it's like to interview people going through some of the worst moments of their lives. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. I'm so glad to talk to you. My first question, I want to go back a little bit. So you work in audio journalism now, but you also have had a lot of experience in video journalism. So what prompted you to go to NPR and focus more on the audio side? I went to undergrad for documentary film. I thought I was going to be a filmmaker.
1: Basically, I had always kind of like wanted to tell stories. And honestly, even growing up and going to college, No one said to me, like, this thing that you want to do is journalism. Like, you know, I I watched television, of course, I watched documentaries, but I didn't know any journalists. So it it took kind of a while to connect this idea of like what I wanted to do. That was called journalism. (laughs) And so I kind of went into film and video because that's like what I saw in terms of where interesting stories were happening. And so when I went to grad school, I learned, like, how to be a reporter, regardless of the medium. I had had all that video skills. I had the audio and the visual, but I learned how to be a reporter. And so then, I mean, when I was looking around at places to go, NPR kept coming up as kind of this place that did stories a little differently. And honestly, I didn't care about the medium. I was just like, how can I tell stories in, like, maybe interesting or more in-depth ways. And NPR at the time was doing that. And um, I thought, okay, so if I know how to do video, which is audio and visuals, and they want me to do audio, like that seems way easier. That's only one of the two. And of course I've learned kind of the magic of tape and the magic of radio and the magic of audio being at NPR. I mean, what an amazing training ground, you know, to kind of like learn from the best.
0: I love audio because it's such a unique medium and like you mentioned there's things that are easier about it but then there's things that are harder about it like I started out learning print and then when I learned to do audio for me it was more of like oh now I have to think about more things like but there's so many such cool opportunities for natural sound and telling a story through these sound bites and tape and all that and I just love it. Yeah, I think also one of the best things about audio and actually video to an
1: extent is like you have to be there there's so many cheats you can do in print. You can do recreation, like you can draw so much from interview and from details. Like it's also wonderful in its own right. But the the magic of audio, the magic of video is like you have to be there. Like you need seen to get something. And I kind of like love that closeness.
0: At NPR, you cover higher education, which I feel like is such an interesting beat to cover, especially now as, you know, the types of students that are going into higher education continue to evolve and become more diverse. So what kind of stories do you cover on the education desk? So I've been covering higher ed
1: for almost a decade, which is a really wild thing to think about. It's a very cyclical beat in the sense that kind of like every six years or so, you have kind of a new group of millions of people who are experiencing higher ed for the first time. So
0: like all the stories you did six years ago are kind of like new again. Because of that, the stories that I like to cover are kind of,
1: sometimes you might even think they're like a bit tangential to higher ed or a bit tangential to education because I'm always looking for like interesting angles because I don't want to do the same story that we've all done before. I did a big project a few years ago about student parents. So about a fourth or a fifth of college students are raising kids while they go to school, which like we don't think about that much. I mean, it's not what's reflected in movies and media and yet it's a lot of people who are like working on getting a degree at the same time that they're raising kids. Um, And so we did this big project about it. And my editor has been in education for three decades and had never done a project on student parents. And yet there's almost 4 million of them in in the U S so we're trying to kind of like look at higher ed and do stories where, it's there, but maybe you didn't notice.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes back to what you said about NPR covering these things in such innovative ways. That's one of the things I love about it. Is like education can sound so like oh books, pencils, labs. There's so many things that impact it and that impact students and all different types of students. As you know, students become more diverse over time. I love those those unique angles. And so kind of along that that same line, why do you think that the education beat is important to tell these stories about? So I love
1: the education beat because it's like basically a gateway into literally anything in American life. <laughs> so um, it's housing, it's transportation, it's poverty, it's politics, it's workforce issues, it's the economy, like literally everything that you would ever want to report on. Like there is a tentacle that you can get to there from education. And so it's really been, um, yeah, just like a super, super fruitful beat because education touches like everyone in their life cycle. And then, yeah, it's connected to every other aspect of American life.
0: I totally agree. Things are so interconnected. And I know I feel sometimes the desire to put them into little boxes like, oh, this is a story about XYZ. And 99% of the time, that's just not the case. It it impacts so many other things. So moving away kind of domestically, you've also reported internationally, which I find so interesting. Starting back in 2013, you went to Jordan and Syria to report on food aid to Syrian refugees. That was an investigative fellowship with USA Today. So what was it like to work that project? Like, where did that idea come from? And then what was that like to travel there and talk to people? I did this fellowship kind of, I took
1: a break from grad school and did this fellowship. And the project was looking at international food aid. And there were a handful of fellows and we kind of each got a chunk of the story. And my part was looking at before you could get like a box donation, U.S. international food aid. And this was a shift to like debit cards and vouchers so that people could just go to the grocery store with money and get their own groceries rather than getting like the box of U.S. food, which was donated. And so, yeah, I traveled internationally I went to a refugee camp in Jordan and I hired a fixer and a driver I mean international reporting is like 50% logistics of just kind of setting it up and figuring out how to do on the ground reporting and so I did that super early on and it was wonderful I mean I worked with the translator to like work with all of our tape and all of our transcripts on the back end and yeah, it was amazing. I remember coming back to the to our newsroom and thinking like I don't ever want to go on vacation again. Like I just want to do work stories. But yeah, just kind of that from very early on I was like I want to do this international
0: thing. And it's amazing just the way that we're able to see so much of the world now and the fact that we can get these videos and audio and testimony from people all around the world is absolutely crazy, but it's so important. And so you mentioned after that project that you did In Jordan, you wanted to report internationally again, and you got that chance when war broke out in Ukraine. So, you went there for NPR and you were covering the war and its effects on children and families, especially. So, what motivated you to go cover that? And what was the process like to kind of raise your hand to say, I want to go cover this?
1: In 2021, I was doing a lot of hosting at NPR. So, I was starting to host. For weekend edition and all things considered, and the job of the host is that you're kind of like read into all the major stories. you know you have to know the news of the day. and I was enough read in from hosting all things considered that i had I knew kind of the stakes. I knew the characters. I knew the story. And so when the invasion happened, it was just like it's just instinct. You're like, you raise your hand. i yeah, I want to cover that story. It's the biggest story in the world. Like send me. <laughs> And they did, which is a, a really wild thing. So I first went in March of 2022, just after the invasion. And I mean, I had never covered a war before. But of course, I, as we just talked about, I had done reporting on refugees. I had done international reporting. And I'd covered hurricanes and breaking news in the States. And the thing that's like really wonderful about being a journalist, being a good journalist, is that your job is to report. And that just came naturally. I arrived in Ukraine. We we went from Poland. So I, I flew into Poland and then I drove across the border into Ukraine. And you're just doing all the things they teach you in school. Like it's all the kind of basic journalism things. It's You're getting sourced up. So you're following people on Twitter. You're listening to the daily press briefings that are happening. You're kind of like following... Um, Ukrainian officials who are telling you what's happening Um, a lot of it is just it's breaking news so it's right in front of you in the sense that like the biggest story is like you're seeing it and and you're talking to people every day so you're on the ground so you also kind of have like you have, of course your sources where you're getting your information that's kind of like where often breaking news is coming from your official channels. And then you're also every day on the ground talking with people and hearing like what's actually happening. So it was like what we're seeing on the ground, what people are telling us, and then these official sources, like that's journalism 101 in a lot of ways. Like it is a war and it is Ukraine. And and there were times that, you know, we were doing dangerous things and it was scary. But at the same time, it's like, that's kind of what we trained to do. That's,
0: we have the skills as journalists. Yeah, that's something that comes up really often in this show, actually, is I ask reporters what advice they have for aspiring journalists. And often it's really focus on those basics, those interviewing, reporting, writing, those basics are going to help you in your work, no matter what medium or what level of project you're doing. And so something I'm really intrigued by is when you're reporting on these stories about food aid and war, you're usually talking to people going through like some of the worst days of their lives. So how do you approach coming in as a journalist and talking to people who have gone through such trauma in a way that is respectful, but also where you get the information that you need?
1: This is a really, really great question, and I'm glad you're asking it, and I'm glad we're talking about it more and more. We weren't like a decade ago when I started in journalism, and I'm so glad that it's become more and more a part of the conversation. I'll start with That there are some really, really great resources on trauma-informed reporting and how to talk with people about hard things. The DART Center has been a really great resource to me. Their website has lists of kind of do's and don'ts. They have specifics on how to talk with children, which I'm often doing. A A couple kind of like takeaways that come to my mind in terms of when you're talking to people about perhaps the hardest day of their life. Is I always ease into a conversation and make sure that they're comfortable with the direction that we're going to go. So I would never just start with a really hard question, even if it's even if I'm on a super tight deadline and I need to get a piece of tape in an hour or 20 minutes or whatever, I will ease us into it because I think it's really emotional to talk about hard things. And I also will ease people back out of the conversation to try and end it on something hopeful or something. Um, forward-looking instead of past-looking. I have found, though, that people want to tell you. People want to talk about what's happened to them. They want to share their story, no matter how intense it is. And so just a year in Ukraine had taught me that, that like, yeah, the hardest, hardest things that I couldn't imagine saying or hearing out loud, like it was not pulling teeth, you know, like people want to talk. I'll also just say that like I'm a human and I have often like cried with people. And I think that that's okay to kind of like be in that moment with them and feel the grief that they're feeling. And yeah, this kind of like stoic, you know, almost like unfeeling interview style is that I don't think is real or healthy. It's a lot though. I'm I'm really glad you're asking this question because I think it also is a lot for the journalist I mean, I um, am in therapy and I NPR has been wonderful about giving us breaks like when we come back because it takes a really long time to kind of process <laughs> all the stuff that you hear. And, and this is true for journalists that are not covering war. I mean, this is true for journalists who cover everyday life in America, um, school shootings, um, poverty. I mean, there's a lot of heavy things that
0: I think like almost all journalists at some point will interact with in their career. Yeah, and like you mentioned, there's that shift towards seeing journalists as actual human beings instead of, like you said, you know, pillars of concrete objectivity. And that's good for both reasons where you're able to empathize with people. You don't just have to sit there and, you know, they're telling you something so personal and just saying, "Uh uh-huh, yep, I see. And then on the other side, recognizing that you're a human and you need to take care of yourself is so important. And so you mentioned that you've had these kind of projects where you've taken on long-term relationships with people. What were those stories and how did you navigate those?
1: One of the stories I'm most proud of that we did in Ukraine is that we followed what happened to one kindergarten class in Kharkiv. We, wanted, we knew we wanted to do a story on the first day of school in Ukraine. So it had been about six months since the war started at this time. And there was um, a large missile attack that happened when we were in the city. And one of the things that was hit was a kindergarten school, five or six classes of kindergarten students. And the school was damaged. It wasn't destroyed. And so we did a news story to kind of say two teacher's aides had been hurt and hospitalized, but there were no there were no students in the school. So we went to the kindergarten. We did this like three and a half minute piece on morning edition And I could not stop thinking about this school. So I got this idea in my head. And I'm sure you know this feeling when you're like, huh, maybe there's a reason I can't stop thinking about this school. So I got this idea in my head that maybe we could find out what had happened to one of those classrooms. Like, where were those families? One of the things the head of school had told us on the morning that we visited the damage was that out of like the 200 Students that had been learning in that school a year ago, only 14 families had remained in the city of Kharkiv. And so I just got this sense that maybe if we could do the story of one classroom, it could really show the impact of this war. But um, it took a really long time to get access and to get permission and to find a classroom. And so much of the success of us being able to do this story was that we were there in person. It was only until we like physically went back to that kindergarten and we're like, we are here. So just the reporting in person, even when stuff isn't set up is just like, I mean, again, like journalism 101, but just go, (laughs) just go. And like meeting someone in person and telling them your idea in person is just so much better than a text message or a phone call. Um, And so eventually we found a wonderful teacher, Arena who kind of like was, once we got her on board, she was a kindergarten teacher. Once we got her on board, she kind of like let us in to her classroom world. And then ultimately from there, we met all the parents in this one green walled kindergarten classroom. And then we spent the next eight months tracking down the families all over the world. And we told their story this spring. So that was a really hard story to to kind of let go. You know, because I I was in pretty constant communication with these families of six year olds for eight months, yeah. And and they for me, as we said earlier, like they lived in my head for like almost a year. So that was really hard to kind of let go. Like there was actually a lot of grief on my end of just like that the story was over.
0: I remember hearing that story, but I remember listening to it, and I feel like even then I could tell that you had spent so much time and effort getting to know these families and kids just because of the quality of the material like you can tell you built that relationship and it's so important to get those good stories but yeah that definitely is hard after eight months it feels like you're almost losing a friend and so back on the domestic side before working in higher ed you were a weekend White House reporter for Bloomberg which I thought was really interesting because I feel like those are pretty different beats so what made you want to work as a political reporter and what was that experience like
1: so this was basically my first real job out of grad school. I was like a weekend and evening reporter for Bloomberg. So I was basically like filling in any shift, you know, that they're kind of like Monday through Friday day side reporters couldn't cover. And it was incredible experience. Um, because Bloomberg is a wire service, they're guaranteed a spot in the press pool. You know, you're reporting on anything that happens at the White House. So the range of topics that we, that I got to cover was pretty amazing in terms of election stuff, the environment, the economy. I mean, it's just like news of the day. It's like the first draft of history, literally. And working for a a wire service was also really, really great experience because it's so fast. Most of my stories, if not all of my stories were written on my iPhone to just have to like listen and be able to do like quotes on the fly and to get facts quickly and to write sentences that were clear and cohesive.
0: Really, really great experience. I think that goes back to just saying yes to things, cool opportunities, because you never know how they're going to help you in the future. And like you mentioned, the those skills that you learned are still very present in your reporting now. Yeah, totally. Saying yes to everything and just kind of being open to where things will lead
1: you and what you'll do and that knowing that kind of like every opportunity, you're going to take something from it, I hope.
0: Yeah. And that rolls really well into my last question, which is what advice do you have for aspiring journalists? Uh, Maybe especially those who do want to do international reporting. I think sometimes people are like waiting for the job to make
1: the work that they want to make. And I just don't think you have to wait I mean, be patient with yourself in the sense that, like, you're just not going to be as good as you want to be for a while. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I think that this kindergarten project is actually kind of the work that I wanted to do for the last decade. And it, and it took me a decade of of maturity, of skill, of all of these kind of things falling into place to actually, like, do that story. I don't think I could have done that story a decade ago. So the first piece is kind of don't wait. I think to like, to get that job or to get that internship or to like work at the place where you want to do the stories, type of stories you want to do, like figure out how to do those type of stories either as freelance or as kind of like in the confines of the job that you have. I'm always kind of a firm believer of like, okay, whatever job they give you, like that's your foot in the door and then pitch the projects you want to pitch bring, I brought a notebook everywhere my first couple of years at NPR. And anytime I heard like a gap in something that someone needed, I wrote it down and tried to fill that gap. So if they're like, okay, we, I, some others, like a series that they're pitching and like, they don't have enough stories on X. Like, that's not your job, but you're writing that in your notebook and you're like, okay, there's like a, there's a gap here that maybe I can pitch a story in that series. So I was always kind of like constantly like, okay, what, even if it's not my job, even if that's not what I was hired to do, like where are kind of like the tentacles where I can go? Um, And then, yeah, so don't wait, just like kind of make the stories you want to make. And then I think just be like patient with yourself. Because I think I would get frustrated a lot at the very beginning of my career when I was like, why am I not making like this like amazing work that I want to make? It's like, okay, it's going to come. <laughs> like, It's going to fall into place and you're going to get better at your craft. You're just going to, it's going to happen. The more you do it, the more stories you do, the better you get. Like daily stories, breaking news, just write, 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 write. And you're going to get so much better. So like the more you can kind of like raise your hand for quick turns and for breaking news and for just like covering what's happening, then you're going to have all those skills and all that practice for when you do want to do kind of like the in-depth, like big
0: projects. I think that is such good advice because I also relate to, you know, reading these huge investigative pieces uh, like winning awards and you're like, that's amazing. I want to do that. Remember, these are mid-career journalists that have, you know, spent years covering, you know, building their base. Um, So that's great to remember. You can't rush time or experience. Thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, you asked such great questions. You must be a journalist. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Thank you again to Alyssa for joining me on this episode, and thank you for tuning in to The Lead. I'm your host, Jacqueline Ganon. Our executive producer is Charlotte Barnum, and this show is supported by the Cox Institute. To keep up with The Lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe wherever you hear your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on X, formerly Twitter. We're at The Lead Podcast. See you next time.